He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Shakespeare said, time to kill all the lawyers. I wouldn't go that far, but I will say maybe it's time to start electing judges. Another smackdown by foolish judges uh, on tough on crime legislation. And uh, this time it's they're saying mandatory minimums for dealers pushing drugs on children are cruel and unusual punishment. I'm going to bring you some facts on this, and I'll read you from the actual rulings that have led to all of this nonsense going on. It leads back to a mandatory minimum on gun crime that was struck down that many of my friends in the law-abiding gun-owning community supported striking that down because they said, well, it could capture us. And so the Supreme Court has been using a ba- one bad decision to support other bad decisions. But that's not where I want to start tonight. Believe it or not, I'm actually in a good mood. We're semi-good mood, given the news. But we have another Canadian killed by Islamic terrorists today. We have another Canadian killed by a group that has pledged allegiance to ISIS. The difference is this time it, it didn't happen in the Middle East. The difference this time is that it happened in the Philippines. John Ridsdale... 68 years old, from Yorkton, Saskatchewan, a transplant to Calgary, former mining company executive, actually former broadcaster and journalist with the Calgary Herald as well, beheaded in the Philippines. There are, there's a small group of radicals in some of the southern islands in the Philippines that want a Muslim Islamic Republic to break away from the rest of the Federation of the Philippines. They've been waging war for decades now. It's a guerrilla war, and it's funded by kidnapping people and extorting ransom from them, and that's what they did here. Ridsdell, along with Robert Hall, a fellow Canadian, a Norwegian man and a Filipino woman, Four people taken hostage last September 21st. They were taken hostage and a ransom demand was issued for six and a half million dollars each. Six and a half million dollars each. Now, the standard response of the Canadian government is we don't negotiate with terrorists and we don't pay ransom. And this group is, Abu Sayyaf, is a terrorist group. There's no doubt about it. They've been deemed that by Canada, by the United Nations, uh, I believe the United uh, States, European Union, around the world. It's not just the Philippines to say, oh, these pesky guys that want their own land. It's the world has looked at what they've done over the last several decades including carrying out attacks outside of the Philippines for their political agenda and deemed them to be terrorists. So John Rizel, killed by uh, this group today, Abu Sayyaf, a group that, yet they've been around for a while, yet in some respects they're a bit more of the the old-fashioned terrorist group that just wants uh, political homeland. 
but make no doubt about it, they are Salafist Islamists. They have pledged allegiance to ISIS. So, that's why I say another Canadian killed by Islamist terrorists today. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in Kananaskis country in uh, Alberta, holding a cabinet retreat on the other side of the country. And I don't know, I'm getting mixed reviews, and I'll, I'll let you be the judge on his response. How does one respond to this? Well, later I'll explain why it can't just be words. But since words is all he had when he stepped up to the microphone, we'll listen to those. I am outraged by the news that a Canadian citizen, John Reisdell, held hostage in the Philippines since September 21st, 2015, has been killed at the hands of his captors. His captors, Abu Sayyaf, brutal, brutal Islamist terrorist organization. Did Justin Trudeau name them? No. Now, at the same time, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that Justin Trudeau and his government still have to deal with the fact that Robert Hall, the other Canadian, is still captive. The actions of the government can result in him being freed or can help lead to him being executed decapitated the way that Ridsdale was, his head thrown into the middle of the street by two men on a motorcycle. That's the type of people that we're dealing with. The Trudeau did, was willing to denounce them and their acts and say, the fault doesn't lie with anyone but this group. Canada condemns without reservation the brutality of the hostage takers and this unnecessary death. This was an act of cold-blooded murder, and responsibility rests squarely with the terrorist group who took him hostage. The responsibility lies with the terrorist group that took him hostage. Correct. Coming up in a few minutes' time, just after the news at the bottom of the hour, we'll speak with Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP, who for many years was the go-to guy for Canadians held up by terrorist groups or dodgy foreign governments. If you were a Canadian abroad in trouble, Dan McTague was the one that would come to try and rescue you. We'll get his take on how the government handled this one, whether they handled good, bad, or indifferent. But I want to talk about how we need to respond. Not what we did so far, but how we should be responding. There's a very good chance that by the end of the week, we'll have two Canadians killed by a terrorist group in the Philippines there's a very good chance that these will not be the last Canadians killed by the global jihadi movement. Think back, it was just January. Six Canadians from Quebec, most of them from the same family, killed in a terrorist attack in Burkina Faso. Often when this happens, or you can go back to 9-11, and what was it, about two dozen Canadians killed in the 9-11 attacks? Often... Canadians aren't the target. In this case, it was. So what's our response? What's our response so that the world knows that if you take out a Canadian, there are consequences? Because that's 
That's the language that these people understand. All my friends that have gone to courses on how to deal with children, speak to children in their own currency, speak to them in their language, speak to them in terms they understand. All right, let's speak to the terrorist in terms they understand. Where is the retribution? What will it be? Dealing with thugs like this is not a new phenomenon. It just so happened that today on his radio show, my friend Glenn Beck was uh, starting a new serial. He does these production bits uh, where they, they'll take topics. And today it was the dealing with the issue of terrorism and its origins. And specifically, the radical jihadis. And he pointed back to the Barbary pirates who, in their day, in the late 1700s, terrorized anyone trying to move merchant vessels through the Mediterranean. The British and the French could afford to pay the tribune. They could afford to pay the fee that would let them through. But if you didn't pay, or you're late paying, then your vessels were seized, your goods were taken, your people, they could be killed, they could be sold into slavery. The United States was a new country, and the tribune to the Barbary pirates was just about bankrupting the country. So they decided that they weren't going to pay anymore. They decided they were going to start this thing called a navy, and this little group called the Marine Corps. And that was their response to the Barbary pirates. By 1794, the United States began building a navy for the purpose of finally ending the threat from the Islamist Barbary pirates. And in 1801, President Thomas Jefferson had enough. He had grown weary of nearly bankrupting the nation with the ridiculous exorbitant tribute. He stopped paying the tribute, and the Pasha of Tripoli declared war on the United States. America's first foreign war had begun. Jefferson, with the authorization of Congress, sent the newly manufactured American warships and Marines to the Barbary Coast. Blockades and battles followed. The American Navy won virtually every battle. However, in October 1803, the USS Philadelphia ran aground on a reef patrolling the Tripoli Harbor to be captured by the Islamists. They then renamed it the Gift of Allah and used it again as a gun battery against the American fleet. On the night of February 16, 1804, Lieutenant Stephen Decatur and a small group of Marines took off in a captured Tripolian vessel, tricking the sailors aboard the captured American ship, allowing them to get close enough. Then they stormed the ship, overpowered the Tripoli sailors, and blew up the ship. Even famed British Admiral Horatio Nelson reportedly called this the most bold and daring act of the age. That is a response. That is what Abu Sayyaf should be feeling. We have the capabilities, we have the forces, and yes, we could even get the approval of the Filipino government to send in our troops. We're on a training mission. We're going to help. By taking these SOBs out and sending a message to them and everyone like them, that's the response. The outrage and the words are fine at a time. 
But the response needs to be that we go to our ally, the Philippines, and say, give us permission to send JTF2 into this area and let us help you clean up your mess. Take out as many of them as possible and warn them that we don't want to come back. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk more about this on the political side, the diplomatic side, when we come back. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh, don't you love it? A little bit of schadenfreude. And there's somebody out there who's just so pumped up about themselves. They think they're so wonderful because all they get are good press. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so nice. He's progressive. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's progressive. He's wonderful. (gasps) Nahid Nenshi. Oh. I've met the guy a couple of times. I've had one real interaction with him of any consequence. And it told me a lot about him. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, Calgary's mayor, who's just been, you know, talking about how how great. Everyone talks about how great he is because he's so nice. He's so progressive. Ah. Well, he, you know, he's been at the forefront of the fight against Uber out in Calgary. Well, he goes to Boston. What does he do? He takes an Uber ride, but with a driver who, bizarrely enough, I've never seen this, and I'm not sure I would get in a car that did this. He live streams his rides and interactions to a huge audience in the tens of thousands of people. So Nahid Nenshi's in the car talking about how the CEO of Uber is such a jerk. Now, he uses a different word. So brace yourselves, people. You may not have heard it. He, he describes the CEO of Uber in awful terms. He also said some other things we'll get into in a second. But this tells you an awful lot about Nahid Nenshi. Uber's the worst people in the world. I have never dealt with people like this before. So explain to me, what makes them so In bad? fact, I, I was at a conference and I met Travis, right, you know, the CEO, and I was like, oh, it's because you're a dick, and this has mm. percolated and it just through the entire the organization. The CEO has trickled down, that's uh-huh. what you're saying. Uh-huh. So he calls the CEO that, by the way, he also said that uh, to, to try and stop Uber, the city of Calgary found people that were, you know, sex offenders and had other nasty things and tried to put them through their their security check to prove it could be breached. Now, then she's being asked a lot of questions about that. Was the, was the city of Calgary literally recruiting sex offenders to entrap Uber? But I just want to bring you back to when Mayor Nenshi, the Lord Mayor of all the Canadas, was here in Ottawa. At Mayor Jim Watson's breakfast, and I tried to ask him some nice questions because he gave an impassioned defense of the oil sands, and I thought, this is really good. More people need to hear this. And to use a, a Nenshian word, he was a dick. 
You're very effective arguing from the left on, on pipelines. Uh, no, I'm not arguing from the left at all. Next question. Well, no, I, I yes, go ahead. I can, can I rephrase them there, Nancy? Progressives in Eastern and Central Canada continue no. to come out against it's, it's the not, pipeline. It's not, about uh, left, it's not about left versus right, and frankly, and frankly, framing it that way is not helpful. Next. Hi. Yeah, being a dick's not helpful either, Nahid. Uh, you get what's coming to you, I guess, don't you? I want to bring up this story because it made a lot of headlines last week, and I think the reaction will will make fewer. Not that it isn't being covered. I don't want to give people that impression. But from covering the number of murders that I have, I'll say this. It is rarely random. That's why when a random shooting happens, people really freak out. The shooting of eight people in Ohio last week. Turns out they're all the same family. It was execution style. As soon as I start hearing all this, I think something's really weird with this. Well, it turns out, yeah, there kind of is. They, they might have been involved in some not-so-good stuff, like uh, running a cockfighting operation and a big freaking marijuana grow-up. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine hasn't released a motive yet for the execution-style murders of eight family members in Pike County, but says a marijuana grow operation was found at three of the murder sites, along with possible evidence of cockfighting at one. One cage for each, each one of the roosters, so one of the places had those. DeWine also elaborated on the size of the marijuana grow operation, saying it was one of the biggest he had ever seen in the state. Melissa Neely, ABC News. No motive. Yeah, it's just random, I guess. Uh, Let's skip across the pond to um, President Obama, another guy that everyone just loves because he's so wonderful, he's great, he can do no wrong, and he would never stick his nose in the business of another country, right? Wrong. Because he did that last week. He's in Britain. You know, he had to play a round of golf with with David Cameron. He had to have dinner with Will and Kate. He he had lunch with the Queen. Well, now he's ticked off an awful lot of British politicians who were on the yes side of leaving the European Union because he said... You leave the European Union, you're going to the back of the line for negotiating trade deals. Well, London Mayor Boris Johnson is dismissing that Britain will suffer economically with the U.S. if it votes to leave. Being told that we have to go to the back of the queue, that seems to me to be uh, ridiculous when you consider that actually uh, the real reason we haven't been able to do a free trade deal with the United States and asked 43 years is we're part of the EU. Go, Boris, go. I don't agree with everything Boris does, but he's on the right side on this one. Britain has to leave the EU. Finally, a little bit of history for you today. Prince Harry laid a wreath at an early morning Anzac Day service in London. What's Anzac Day? That's where they honor the New Zealanders and Australians that fought. Both nations had huge casualties in the ill-fated Gallipoli landings in the First World War. So as he laid the wreath, well, there was the sound of the last post. We'll leave you with that. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Coming up, we'll bring you the debate on the um, heroin shooting gallery proposal that's being discussed. Yes, let's call it what it is. It's a heroin shooting gallery. Nothing safe about heroin. Never 
Not going to convince me otherwise. And supervised? All right, fine. Watch people kill themselves. Sounds great. Sounds like a fine use of taxpayers' money. You know where I stand? Later on, we'll bring you where the two opposing sides stand. Also, coming up later in the program, on the issue of the, um, the Supreme Court, and now the lower court, striking down mandatory minimums as being cruel and unusual, but saying the sentence is still valid. The latest one, they struck down mandatory minimums for people that push drugs on kids, on teenagers, on children, people that are selling drugs in schoolyards. Yeah. Yeah. Cruel and unusual punishment. I'll explain the bad legal reasoning. I'm not just going to rant. I will explain the bad legal reasoning. And the judicial trick that the courts are using to arrive at this, because they are not actually deciding on cases that are before them. They're making up imaginary cases in their head. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is what they're doing. And then changing the law based on that. But right now, I want to continue talking about this issue of John Ridsdale, Canadian executed by jihadi terrorists in the Philippines today, and Canada's reaction. Dan McTague, for many years, was the go-to guy. If you were a Canadian trouble, you wanted to hear that Dan McTague was coming. It was a bit like the Calvary, and he joins me on the line from Toronto. Dan, um, I want to get the, the political reaction in a bit. I was just saying that, or the, the political handling, perhaps, of this, but I was saying that we need a response. And I think that in this case, because it's a specific group in a specific territory, controlled by one of our allies— that this would be a good time for us to say to the Philippines, hey, we'd like to send JTF2 on a, in on a training mission to eradicate as many of these people as we can. Well, there are two ways of looking at this. One is that the Philippine government has made it very clear that they do not want uh, any negotiation that would see uh, a rendering of, uh, of any type of uh, uh, ransom. And uh, that's understandable. That concurs with what the federal government uh, in Canada has uh, maintained for years and continues to maintain uh, that we don't pay ransoms. And uh, that has to be made abundantly clear to the kidnappers, no no matter how uh, vile they may be in this case uh, or the outrage of their actions. Uh, But if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to go down that road of finding a third way uh, in order to do what uh, it needs to be done at the end of the day, do everything that can be done to save and spare the life of, uh, of a citizen, in particular a Canadian citizen, then the option has to be uh, one that involves uh, a greater degree of uh, help on the military side. And, of course, a country like the Philippines will probably say, mind your own business, stay away. Uh, but, you know, if we phrase it correctly, Dan, of we'd really like our JTF2 to help your people, and we'll train them, we'll do whatever, but just let our JTF2 guys get in there. They might be willing to. There's a lot of people to. who have expertise in kidnapping in Canada and abroad. And uh, we, I'm not sure the extent to which they were, uh, they were uh, involved, which they were made available. Mm-hmm. I can tell you I know three of them. I won't mention their names. Uh, they happen to be people I've relied on in the past, and none of them. I've been called. So whoever was involved so, here. Okay, let, let's turn to the handling of this by the government. And, and you know from your time in consular affairs that when somebody's in trouble, there's always people saying the government's not doing anything and the government's hands are tied. That's one thing I learned from you and from others yep. who've held the, that same position 
is that often the governments can't say anything. They can't do anything because of privacy, because of sensitivities, all these things. But you still, in this instance, you think that not enough was done to free John Ridsdell. Something uh, went wrong. Um, governments don't involve themselves with paying the ransom, but they can certainly become involved in the coordination of efforts to free him or to spare him. Uh, in this case, of course, we're talking about the uh, about his sad uh, and, 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 and regrettable and, and frankly disgusting uh, you know, execution. But there are, there's still another Canadian there, and there are two others, of course, uh, other nationals that are involved. Uh, I suspect that uh, when I begin to think that uh, in the case of Mr. Ridsdale, having uh, worked for TBI, all personnel working for companies mining in, in countries like the Philippines or around the world where there is obviously uh, potential against their safety of their life, there is kidnap uh, and ransom insurance. I'm shocked that that wasn't uh, considered here, or if it was considered, somehow it did not get through. Um, you know, this is, you know, for me, um, uh, this is not sort of, uh, we all know the risks in going to those countries. The Canadian government has made it abundantly clear, uh, but this is not a form of black art. I mean, you have to look at the fact that there has been uh, in the past uh, when uh, uh, an individual who belongs to a particular company is taken hostage in those kind of circumstances, uh, there is ransom that is often paid uh, in circumstances that uh, fall back to the responsibility of the company, which has uh, which has hired and has brought uh, forth uh, nationals from around the world. I'm surprised that that somehow did not uh, uh, make its way through. And of course, uh, you know, this is something that uh, the Canadian government would not have been involved directly with, but at least would have been mindful of, been able to coordinate. Uh, and I, my concern here is that uh, while we may lament what's happened, the reality here is that uh, we have to make sure it doesn't happen again. And it is likely to happen again, I suspect, within 48 to 72 hours. Uh, these bloodthirsty thugs will be at it again, and uh, we'll now want uh, uh, the other Canadian. Uh, so Ro- Ro- Robert Hall, Hall could be uh, next. Will, yeah, I, I suspect that that will be the next step. The ransom may have changed, uh, but I think the Canadian government has to redouble its efforts. If, if we're talking about a particular location where they think they may be, uh, in the past we have seen the Filipino uh, army uh, and officials uh, go in, uh, in some cases uh, with the loss of life, but it's clear that they're 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 determined to kill uh, all the other hostages, and on that basis alone, uh, I think the Canadian government uh, would be well placed to continue to pressure the Philippines to act. Whether we do it ourselves, I don't think is is likely, but uh, certainly uh, provide them advice. Now, as a counterpoint to, well, we're not paying the six million dollars, whatever they ransom, eight million dollars, uh, then at least we should be providing the equivalent amount of support to that government to prevent and to help them. The other point I was going to make to help them uh, in, in terms of what uh, what to do in these kind of circumstances where there is a kidnapping of foreign officials. I think we can be very helpful in that regard, as opposed to sort of just waiting and, and, and watching from, uh, from a distance. Right. This was very serious. Everyone knew this was going to happen two weeks ago. Uh, the fact is that uh, this they, didn't they, get the kind of priority it deserved. They, they met the deadline that they set. Uh, Dan, let me ask well, you, of course, speaking with, speaking with Dan McTigg, uh, former uh, consular affairs uh, official, he was cabinet minister in uh, the uh, the Paul Martin government, and um, uh, Dan, want to ask you about this the uh, the idea that um, we've paid ransom before. We only got about a minute left, but has Canada, or either through officially or through back channels, paid ransom in the past? I'm thinking of people like Robert Fowler. I'm not uh, aware. It didn't certainly happen under my watch. Uh, but there are a number of uh, questions surrounding uh, diplomatic officials who have uh, received uh, in what some believe to be far 
greater degree of uh, of interest, um, whether that's an actual payment by the Canadian government. I, I am not privy to that, but I can tell you that in many circumstances, ransoms have been paid by other third parties. Um, and in this kind of circumstance, uh, I'm, I'm at a loss as to why a company like TVI was not able to forward the ransom, uh, in which case to, uh, to spare the life of uh, of our Canadian citizen. In this case, uh, it would have been, uh, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do, uh, but somewhere along the way, the line of communication broke. And uh, as a result, we have a in, in, first time in a very long time, a Canadian who has been taken hostage and, uh, and murdered. All right, Dan McTagg, thanks for the time tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. All right. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll get into the issue of the, um, the safe injection sites, um, heroin shooting galleries, call them what you will. Uh, we'll talk about that next. Um, just at a loss for what happened to John Redsell. Redsdale, sorry. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. There is an alleged info session tonight at the Sandy Hill Community Center. And I say alleged because, well, I haven't been able to go because I've been on the radio. But I've talked to people that have gone and I've, I've listened to reviews of what's happened there. And information is pushed. Information is pushed at people. It's not a give and take. It's a here's why we need a supervised injection site. Well, Rob Boyd was on with Evan Solomon earlier today. So was Senator Vern White, former police chief, former Mountie, now senator. Vern White is opposed to this because he's a sane man. Rob Boyd uh, supports it. We're going to play both, and then you'll hear from me. First, Rob Boyd with the Sandy Hill Community Center. So you've got a, a comprehensive program there already. What would change? What would happen if this became a supervised injection site? So we're simply asking about, thinking about adding supervised injection to the range of programs and services that we currently offer in our centre. So uh, nothing would change other than having a space within our facility where people are coming in to pick up uh, supplies to inject their drugs, that we would actually have a space in our centre where they could inject drugs under the supervision of staff. Now, you know, let me just present the arguments, as I did with Vern White. So Vern White is against it, so I gave some of the arguments for it. Some say that this could cause an increase in crime. Is that true? Uh, From the evidence, the scientific evidence and the research done and the experience of other communities, that has not shown to be true. Some say, you know, a lot of that research compares what happened in Vancouver to Ottawa. But as Vern White said, it's apples and oranges. That site was a crime-riddled area anyway. This is totally different. So the data coming from Insight doesn't actually apply here. When we started out several years ago, our board of directors asked us to look at the possibility of adding this to our services. One of the conditions was that it would have minimal or no impact in the local community. So we're not just going based on the Insight model. We've also looked at some of the models that exist over in Europe that are smaller scale, like the one we're proposing. And it's been pretty consistent across the board that uh, places that have these types of services uh, within the well-integrated, within existing programs and within the local community, uh, that you don't see some of that effect that people are fearful of. All right. Uh, Let me play you what 
Vern White had to say about why he thinks this is not the best route. And this has to do with the kind of drugs and opioids that people are using. Listen to this. So why aren't we focusing energy on replacing the garbage off the street because it's not a pharmacological opioid, right? right it's garbage. Right. It's killing people for a reason because yeah. it's a poison. And why aren't we focusing our time on replacing it with another opioid? That's legal, prescribed. They don't even need a permit to do that now. But you know what? They choose not to do that because they don't have the guts to do that because then they own the results. So instead, they'll take this out. That's what they're doing. They're taking it out. So basically, Vern White doesn't like the model of a safe of a supervised injection. What do you say to that? So one of the things that we can link people to here would be a methadone and suboxone program, which is I think what he's proposing here is that you you begin to stabilize people on something that's prescribed to them. Unfortunately, nobody prescribes opiates for injection, however, so we still have to factor that in, into the case. But that would be one of the things we would be looking to do uh, in in providing this service is to help stabilize people uh, to help them to see that this is an option. It's something they can link to in our facility on the same day if they, if they should decide to do so. If they should decide to do so. But in the meantime, you're going to aid and abet their addiction. As for the claim that crime didn't go up around Insight, does anyone want to talk about the fact that Vancouver police had to add 90 police officers to that immediate neighborhood? 90 police officers. Have you been to the downtown east side, in and around Insight? It is not a big area. They threw on 90 extra police officers to deal with crime. All right, let's throw to Vern White, uh, a man who has dealt with this issue from a law enforcement uh, perspective and now from a political and public policy perspective. You've already got 700 people using you know, needles at the uh, Sandy Hill Community Center, or the health center, right? It's a comprehensive facility. These people get their needle, then they got to use it somewhere. So they go off in an alley, in a restaurant, uh, you know, washroom, and they use it, and the needles are found everywhere. Why not have a place where if you're going to give them the needles, they can use them and dispose of them not only in a safe place, but given the comprehensive health place in a place where then you can kind of slowly move them towards a recovery program? A number of reasons. First of all, if it's 700 now, it'll be double or triple that once the, uh, such an SIS opened. Secondly is when we consider whether or not we should do this, we have to understand where those drugs come from because they come from illegal, most often people committing crimes to get money to buy drugs from dealers who are typically feeding organized crime somewhere else, right? So if we take... If we take the uh, SIS model, and we put a no-crime-committed zone around that facility, that will become a crime haven, as it has in East Hastings, because you can no longer commit a crime. So what happens in East Hastings, you can go there, and you can see, and the police will tell you they watch drug deals happening right out in the corners around that building. Guess what? That's now lawful in that location. And I'll tell you, having been the chief here, the way we drove street crime down in Lower Town, we drove street crime down in Vanier, was by attacking drug dealers every single day where they live and that's where they will all live. right you know you and i could do one of those statistics swap where people okay. say and i say there's a lot of stats that say actually crime rates don't go up there's a lot of stats that say on supervised injection sites you know people users won't move if it's more than 15 minutes away they're not going to come to it anyway and that's been the model so it doesn't actually attract it property Rates don't go down and crime doesn't so, go There's lots of studies so, about that. So, so here's, let, let's, right. you just said crime doesn't go down. Yeah. When was that a test for success or doesn't go up? 
When was that a test for success? The whole time I was the chief, our goal was to drive crime down. We drove it down by almost 40% in some parts of the city. Well, That's it, our goal, Well, right? it, to be fair, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate. Sure. Cause I, I'm, I'm okay with it. The other side is it's, if crime rates aren't going up, what may go down is number of overdoses and then disease spreading and then the, so how the, many, the, money, the money we save on health care. Not that overdoses don't matter because they absolutely do. Even one is too many. But it's not 40 like Dr. Izzar Levy says. It's four or five that were injectable drug overdoses in the city last year. In fact, injectable drug overdoses, with the exception of the fentanyl crisis that's hitting us yeah. today, and that doesn't go away, by the way, by doing this. Replacement drug therapy does. That does not go away by allowing this to continue. With the exception of that fentanyl crisis right now, drug overdose deaths by injection are going down, as are HIV rates. So in reality, when people say they're not going up, they might be true. But the truth is we are seeing a reduction, though. And, and, and okay, again, last thing on this because sure. I want to get to the legalization of marijuana. Sure. But, but some say because it's clean, you know, one of these are these needle exchanges and the methadone clinics. Those aren't going to change. This, though, would be the comprehensive uh, therapy. And the goal here, and you speak to Dr. Ujinwala, who we spoke to from Recovery Auto. Yeah. Look, at recovery programs can work. But you've got to get people to recover, so, so, and that's tough. So, so do you realize methadone is an opioid? Yeah. Methadone is an opioid. It's a replacement for other opioids. Right. So why aren't we focusing energy on replacing the garbage off the street because it's not a pharmacological opioid, right? right it's garbage. Right. We, it's killing people for a reason because yeah. it's a poison. And why, why aren't we focusing our time on replacing it with another opioid? That's legal, prescribed. They don't even need a permit to do that now. But you know what? They choose not to do that because they don't have the guts to do that because then they own the results. So instead, they'll take this out. That's what they're doing. They're taking it out. If they want to do something, replace what they're buying off the streets with a lawful opioid, methadone, and there's others. And I've talked to Dr. Levy as an example. He will go, Levy, as an example, he'll go through the list. There's other opioids they could replace this with that does then give people an opportunity to try and find recovery. Okay, so you're not a supporter. That's Fern White. Let's wrap that there. Vern White, former chief of police here in Ottawa, now a conservative senator and a man of sanity on this. I'll take your calls on this later on in the program. And uh, just like last Friday, we'll open up calls earlier. I'm going to be playing audio. We'll be going in and out of things, but um, we'll take your calls on this. This is an infuriating debate because the, the side in favor of heroin shooting galleries, which is what they are, gets a pass. It gets a pass. How many lives were saved by opening up Insight? There were 50 overdose overdoses from shooting up the year before it opened, the two years before it opened. Guess what? There, it was the same number. At best, it went down by 1 to 49. So how can you say this is a huge success? It's not. Crime didn't go up, okay? They added 90 police officers to a very small neighborhood. Let's get into some real facts. Uh, Larry Campbell, a liberal senator who used to be on the police force, uh, uh, or I forget what he was. He was a uh, coroner, coroner in uh, Vancouver. He was on, he was saying, it's not, a, it's not a rocket science, you know, just read the reports. Well, I do read the reports, and I come away finding them wanting. We'll talk more about that. But when immediately when we come back, I want to talk about this issue of hypothetical situations that the Supreme Court is now basing laws on and striking down mandatory minimums passed by Parliament. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. 
Yeah, baby. So, in a little while, we'll talk about the um, the attempt to stop Donald Trump that's seen John Kasich. Why did you not drop out earlier, John Kasich? John Kasich and Ted Cruz have essentially come to a, a detente, a non-aggression pact. Maybe we've heard of these before. Hmm. Uh, Donald Trump is, of course, denouncing this. We'll get into some of that in a little bit. We'll talk about the traffic, the insanity that's been happening in Ottawa. I want to know what your thoughts are. Did you experience any of it today? And a a bit of audio that I wanted to play last week and forgot. Justin Trudeau and democracy. He was at the University of Ottawa. The liberals really seem to love going to speak at the University of Ottawa. I can't tell you how many times they've held events there. They go, they speak to students, they speak to faculty, they speak to groups there. They are in the University of Ottawa constantly. So if you are thinking of sending your children to the University of Ottawa, maybe think again. Maybe, just maybe, it's like, oh, so the place is uber lefty. Do you really need to go there? Can you go somewhere else? Could you go to Hurston College? You know, I'm just spitballing here. Right now, though, I want to talk about the whole issue of mandatory minimums because there is a, a new story out today about another mandatory minimum struck down. Let me read to you from the Canadian press story. Headline, former PM Stephen Harper's tough-on-crime agenda dealt another blow in court. Vancouver. British Columbia's highest court has ruled that two federal laws from the previous conservative government's tough-on-crime agenda amount to cruel and unusual punishment and are therefore unconstitutional. The B.C. Appeal Court has struck down mandatory two-year minimum sentences for drug trafficking convictions that involve someone under the age of 18 or that occur in a public place frequented by youth. The unanimous decision, appeals courts are normally only three people, The unanimous decision from the panel says a mandatory minimum sentence of two years in such instances uh, may be at times grossly disproportionate to the crime committed, so breaches an accused's charter rights. The ruling is the latest in several cases where courts have overturned mandatory minimum sentences that are largely the legacy of the former conservative government. A Supreme Court of Canada decision two weeks ago put an end to minimum sentences for specific drug convictions and limits on pretrial credit for some conditions where bail is denied. Uh, Put an end to mandatory minimum sentences for specific drug crime convictions? No, they put an end to mandatory minimum for repeat drug traffickers. I'm not sure that I've ever worked at a news organization that is not a client of Canadian press. And you know what everyone loves to do in every news organization I've worked with? Complain about Canadian press. That's why. So this decision to strike down a mandatory minimum for selling drugs to kids or in a playground or a schoolyard or other places that children frequent, this is being put forward by the justices that say it goes to far. This after saying that a one-year mandatory minimum for repeat drug offenders or repeat drug traffickers goes too far. I haven't read the B.C. 
appeals court decision yet, but I have read the one in the the drug traffickers, and it relies heavily on a case called NUR. So let me just say, in in the case of repeat drug traffickers, they rely on what's called reasonable hypotheticals. And they keep going back to this idea that someone could share a joint at a, a social occasion and be charged with trafficking, and therefore they're thrown in jail. Bull caca. Bull caca. I'm not buying it. Neither should you. The Supreme Court has gone into this realm of reasonable hypotheticals, which is apparently not a new legal construct, but they have decided they're going to take it so far as to be ridiculous. I saw reporter after reporter when that Supreme Court decision come down say, well, this is because you could have caught someone who was passing a joint at a party. That is not drug trafficking. And that is a ridiculous contention on the part of the Supreme Court that insults my intelligence, that insults your intelligence, and exposes their agenda. It exposes their agenda. Now, they rely heavily on a case called Noor. R.V. Noor is a case that was brought against a young man that showed up at a community center in Jane and Finch in Toronto in 2009. They got a report there was a threatening person waiting outside. So police show up, officer arrives, and the respondent, Hussein Jamin Noor, 19-year-old high school student, ran away from the community center. Officer starts running after him. While the cop is chasing him, what does Mr. Noor do? He threw a loaded semi-automatic handgun away. The gun was recovered. He was charged under Section 95-1. Now, I believe this was the gun that had 23 rounds in it. You cannot have uh, a handgun with 23 rounds in it, I don't believe. I believe this was a 9mm. So you've got a magazine restriction. But it was an illegal gun. It was an illegal magazine. He was hanging outside a community center. He was looking to cause trouble. This is not someone going to the gun range. This is not Counselor Jody Medic. This is not me. This is not someone that just wants to go and you know, pop off a few rounds. This is a young, budding criminal. So, the Crown had a choice. They could go with a summary conviction of one year or an indictable offense conviction, which carries a mandatory three-year minimum. They went that route. Why? Because Mr. Noor is no saint. It was not his first run-in with the law. He claimed that this was cruel and unusual punishment, and the mandatory uh, minimum sentence was unconstitutional. Again, in this case, which is what they relied on to strike down the mandatory minimums for drug traffickers, they rely on the Noor case. And in the Noor case, they went to reasonable hypotheticals, except just as in the drug traffickers case, they're not reasonable hypotheticals, except to some bonehead sitting in red robes up on Wellington Street at the Supreme Court. Now, I want you to realize that these are not unanimous decisions. Neither one was. And in both cases, in both cases, the dissenting view said that the uh, hypothetical was unreasonable. Unreasonable. I'm just going to click through and uh, pick this up. 
Rothstein, Moldaver, and Wagner in the Newark case said the reasonable hypothetical approach under Section 12 of the Charter does not justify striking down Sections 95.2 of the Criminal Code. The hypothetical licensing-type uh, cases relied upon by the majority are not grounded in experience or common sense. That's the same argument that the Supreme Court made or the dissenters in the Supreme Court de- decision made on drug traffickers. Your reasonable hypotheticals are not grounded in experience or common sense. What the Supreme Court is doing, and now I'm assuming what the B.C. Court of Appeal is doing, is grasping at straws to impose their political agenda. It's time to start electing judges, people. If you've got a thought on that, I'll take it now. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. We need to start electing judges and we need to start acting, con- asking conservative candidates for the leadership, what kind of judge will you appoint? Because judges seem to think that they are more important than parliament. Because in Noor and in the case with the drug traffickers, they're not deciding on the case before them. They're, they're deciding based on the case in their head that lets them get to the decision they want. That is not the role of a judge. That's the role of a politician. Politicians enact policy based on their desires. Judges do not. Judges are supposed to base their decisions on the law and the facts. Do you think I'm wrong? Do you think I'm right? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. I'm telling you, people are pumped up right now over what's happening in American politics. Have you heard about the deal between Ted Cruz and John Kasich? I I can't believe that John Kasich is still in the race. He has no chance of winning, but he's still in. And now that's forced Ted Cruz to say, okay, if I want to stop Donald Trump, I've got to do something. So Cruz and Kasich are going to work together in an odd sort of way. It's kind of a non-aggression pact. Uh, let's get a bit more from uh, Carolotta Bradley, Bradley at Associated Press. The campaign say they're launching collaborative strategies that Ted Cruz will focus his campaign resources on winning enough delegates in Indiana, while John Kasich will focus his efforts on western states, including Oregon and New Mexico. Campaigning in Maryland, frontrunner Donald Trump again said the system is rigged. I read, you probably read where Cruz is going and he's whining and dining and dinners and hotels and all this stuff. He's bribing people essentially to vote. If Trump does not get the 1,237 delegates needed to win the GOP nomination, there'll be a contested convention in July. I'm Carlotta Bradley. All right. Now let's hear from Trump, who screamed a lot more than that little segment that you heard about this deal earlier today because he thinks I've got the most nominees or sorry I've got the most uh, delegates I should be the nominee you know if you collude in business if you collude in business or if you collude in the stock market they put you in jail but in politics because it's a rigged system because it's a corrupt enterprise 
In politics, you're allowed to collude. So they colluded, and actually I was happy, because it shows how weak they are. It shows how pathetic they are. But it takes two guys, longtime politicians, to try and get together to try and beat Trump, and yet they're way behind. And I said to myself, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. And here's the key. I've only been doing this for 10 months. I haven't even been doing it very long. All right. Well, and uh, apparently uh, he doesn't actually know how the rules work. He keeps calling it rigged. But the rules have been out there from the beginning. And if you pick up the rules book and you read them and you actually do have to go state by state because that's how it works in the United States. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Each state has its own Republican Party. Each state has its own Democratic Party. The local parties decide how delegates are handed out. As you go into each primary, you have to know what the rules are. And Donald Trump's only strategy was get a lot of people out, get them to vote for me. Now, that's one part of it. And that's an important part of it. And in the states where it has been an open system, where you don't have to be a registered Republican, Donald Trump's done even better because he's brought new people in, and that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, you also have to know how the delegate selection happens because it's not just the popular vote, it's the delegates. Just like in the general election, it's not just a popular vote. It is the electoral college because otherwise New York and California could decide the entire election for the entire country and the rest of the country would be saying, hey, but we all voted for the other guy. We don't like your guy. Those two could outweigh. Well, there is a system of checks and balances in the American political system. And if you understand the American political system, it's actually quite good. I'm not going to defend everything about it like that. The superdelegates the Democrats have are absolutely criminal. But the fact is, these rules have been clear. Trump just doesn't understand them, doesn't know where to go. You cannot bully your way into this, Donald. You've got to figure out how to play. Now, if you haven't heard, he is figuring out how to play. Donald Trump has been telling the GOP uh, brass that he is going to adjust things. He's been telling the GOP brass that he is going to look more presidential. He is going to change the way he speaks. Now, he's out denouncing it, that claim, but there's actual audio that's been leaked from the discussions between his newly hired campaign advisors, all of whom are Washington insiders. He's hired speechwriters. He's hired people that will help him look more presidential by teaching him how to use a teleprompter. The Donald Trump that you've been seeing is not the Donald Trump that will be on the campaign trail over the next while, not based on the moves he's made. So Donald is changing. Absolutely. Now, here's a funny thing. Everyone keeps talking about the Republican establishment and the billionaires. Well, there's one group of billionaires that are the boogeymen for the left. They're libertarian-leaning brothers called the Koch brothers, K-O-C-H, Koch brothers. Charles Koch gave an interview to Jonathan Carl at ABC News on the weekend. And the Koch brothers have not given to either Cruz 
or Trump, and I, I don't think they've given a Kasich. They spent a lot of money on other candidates, and then they realized their money wasn't doing anything, and they shut their wallets. So Jonathan Carl asked him about Hillary Clinton. This answer is truly shocking. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? You, you think Bill Clinton was a better president than George W. Well, Bush? Well, in, in some ways. In other ways, I mean, he wasn't an exemplar. Yeah. But, uh, but as far as the growth of government, the increase in spending on restrictive regulations, it was two and a half times under Bush that it was under Clinton. So is it possible another Clinton could be better than a, another Republican it's next possible. time around? It's possible. You couldn't see yourself supporting Hillary Clinton, could you? Well, uh, that her, her, we would have to believe her actions would be quite different than her rhetoric. Let me put it that way. Yeah, there, there's a bit of qualification there. But we do have to be worried. You can't just say that because somebody carries the right banner or wears the right color tie or they're on our team that you're going to support them. Because uh, listen to what Charles Koch said there. Regulations were dramatically increased under Bush as compared to Clinton. This is why I'm saying we've got to be asking conservative leadership candidates in Canada what kind of judge they're going to support. We need to know what kind of policies they will enact. We cannot afford big government conservatives. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So I headed down to the bunker early this morning. Why? Terrified of traffic. Today was traffic Mageddon. I don't know if that's a term, but I'll make it one. Traffic Mageddon in Ottawa. I kept hearing about how one lane of necklace was going to be turned over to um, one lane of necklace was going to be turned over to buses. It turns out, you know, a lane in each direction. I think the reports were all corrected by the time we got to uh, later in the weekend, but it might have surprised some of us uh, driving out and seeing the, the different lines painted. How bad was your commute? Was it affected at all? See, I, I sailed into downtown, but I avoided anything near Nicholas. Um, I did have to uh, to head out of downtown for a while, uh, just after one or around one, and things were were really bad on the four seventeen heading in, but not bad going out. How bad was your commute? Five two one talk five two one eight two five five. Eric Lonley at CTV Ottawa went out to uh, to check in on how things were and said, yeah, you know, not the best kind of day. A bus has to clear the intersection at Nicholas and Laurier to make way for a fire truck. Noteworthy because buses haven't normally crossed this intersection until now. 
This morning was the first uh, Monday to Friday opening, if you will. It officially opened yesterday. The opening of buses on Nicholas, following the closure of the transitway at Campus Station. Hundreds of buses now traveling this major connector from the Queensway to downtown. Other buses rerouted to Laurier and King Edward Avenue. A major change that was expected to cause major delays Monday morning, but that never happened. Went well. We were expecting uh, a lot of that. traffic, but everything's good. I think they did a good job uh, warning people that there's going to be very, very uh, you know tight situation in Nicholas. So I think people are avoiding it. Good morning, folks. Just a, just a reminder: campus station's closed. Transit users, for the most part, adapted to the changes. Although some students now have farther to walk. Here's like 10 minutes, or maybe more than walking. But one relatively smooth morning doesn't mean these changes aren't without their pitfalls. The fact remains, hundreds of city buses are now off the transitway and on the street. I'm concerned with pedestrian safety at Cumberland, Laurier, uh, Laurier and King Edward, as well as Somerset and King Edward. The city will continue to monitor the new routes to see where any improvements can be made. And it will continue to advise motorists to avoid Nicholas whenever possible. You know, traffic is a lot like water. It'll find the path of least resistance. And uh, as long as we're all making that effort, uh, I think the system will continue to work well until we open the train. Until we open the train, what, in 2018? <sighs> what was your day like? What was your commute like? 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580. You also have thoughts on uh, the whole safe injection site, heroin shooting galleries debate. We'll take calls on that as well. And... Um, do you think it's time that we start electing judges? Do we need to be pushing conservative party candidates on what kind of judge they will appoint? Because we know what the liberals will appoint, right? The liberals will appoint liberal judges. But did Stephen Harper actually appoint conservative judges? Stephen Harper had many good qualities, but I'm not sure his judicial appointments rank at the top of the list. And we need to get over this idea that our our justice system is apolitical, that our justice system, they're just noble people standing on a hill, looking out at the law with no bias, with no politics involved. They are the guardians of the galaxy. It's not true. They're incredibly political. They're awfully political. They're... <sighs> Five two one talk five two one eight two five five or star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Uh, guy, the Capital Voice. You've been out at these safe injection site meetings, Guy, haven't you? Have you taken up heroin yet? Uh, no, Brian. I do not want to be addicted to anything. I went through those years of my life already, and I'm very happy to be uh, a recovering addict after about twenty years of uh, abstinence. I, I did not know that. Yeah, kudos yeah, I had to my you. Troubles. I had my troubles. Yeah, but uh, that was twenty years ago. Um, with regards to Chief Vern White and his statements, um, because they don't have the guts, I'd love you to cue that up again, because that really is part of what's going on here is now that the applications are going through and the media is down there for the last night. They had their plant attic, Darren, there again tonight. Um, so in the, on week You've one mentioned and week this four, guy before, that, that there's a guy who, he has all the answers, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, he is just really prepped. He's really prepped. Anyways, uh, so he was out there again tonight, and it's interesting how they orchestrate all this as well. I, I learned a lot in the last four weeks. 
But the one thing I'd like to mention is, is Chief Vern White, th- there was a police chief, you know, who really, really did do a great job for the city. And unfortunately, even if Chief White was still the chief and we didn't have Chief Photo Op, we would, we would have to have a situation where all he is uh, going to do is submit a letter um, Chief Charles, and then all Brian, all, and then the the mayor submits a letter. Isra submits a letter, and basically this is a done deal. We're going to have three, not one, three insight safe. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, not safe. I can't say that word, Brian. Supervised injection heroin shooting galleries in Ottawa within a year, and there's not much any of the public can do about it. And these road shows and public consultations prove that. Look, in fairness to, to Chief Bordalo, he has he's not only been submitting the letter, he's been very public, he's been open with the media, he has... You know, no, he, I'm just he, comparing him to Vern White. Vern White was well, a police chief. He uh, was really he, a... That was, that, that, he's a man. But, but he's spoken out against this, oh, forcefully. Not a huge fan. But you don't have to be. But on this issue, I'm saying... Yes, he has uh, spoken on, out On this it. issue, yeah. he's spoken out against it, he's been eloquent on it, uh, the mayor... I know you're not a big fan of Jim Watson, but he's spoken out against it. He has made his case. Dr. Levy has spoken out in favor of it, made his case. But none of that matters, guys. None of it matters, Brian. None of it matters matters at all. Because this is an issue that will be decided by bureaucrats at Tunney's Pasture. Mm -hmm. And at least in the case of Ottawa, they, you know, they live in the community to a degree. But let me tell you a quick story friend of mine out at Tony's Pasture years ago uh, trying to speak to the health minister of the day about a certain issue. And they looked at uh, my friend and they said, you know what? They're, they're up on the top floor. Minister's office is almost always up on the top floor of whatever building. And I've been to a few of them to go in for interviews. They always have really nice views. And uh, so they're out at Tony's Pasture at uh, the, the Brook Claxton building. And you know, my friends making their case on their issue, and they say, sounds great, but you know what? I got 14 floors of religion below me. And my friend said, what are you talking about? They said, it's not based on science. It's not based on healthcare. It's based on religion below me. And they view what they do in that light. They and, have and, the and, social license. And so as they look at something like Insight, I'm worried that they won't look at, oh, well, uh, crime didn't go up. They won't look at the fact that there were 90 officers added. Well, uh, it, it saved lives. They won't look at the fact that the the, the death toll from uh, people overdosing. have gone down in the city over the last five years. They, they will not look at the death toll in, in the downtown Lower East Side yeah. as not changing from before or after. Well, and, like and, and I really like that Vern White raised the issue of it's not 40 overdose deaths because that's all overdose deaths. Those yeah. are people that have died from taking too many pills in their bathroom. Uh, you know, he, he said it's maybe three or four, and, and we're yeah. going to spend a ton of money and, and set up not only, not only at Nelson Street, you, but also 420 Cooper is another possible site, and there could be others as well. Yeah, and Brian, one thing that was made very point, I must give Amanda Pfeiffer from CBC kudos on this. She identified an issue on the first of the four road shows that they had closed tonight, and she basically was saying, well, what if, this is a health center. We've got young children coming in here. There's methadone people coming in here. So maybe, maybe to the 
methadonites have a problem with commingling with the addicts. And as a parent, do you really want to be bringing your kid in to the same environment as people that are shooting up street heroin in the basement and they're opening a coffee shop? Did you hear that tonight, Brian? (laughs) They're opening a coffee shop in the basement of the Sandy Hill Health Center right next to the Sandy Hill Community Center, which have to be devised because they're two separate entities. But, Brian, this is a community center. It's a health center. It's a, a multifunction, provincially funded thing. But since we've got Sunnyways federally and since we've got Kathleen uh, provincially, you know, it's it, Jim's letter, Israel's letter and everything, it's really sad the way that the left has their social license. But when they look at anything that uh, goes back to conservative values. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's really unfortunate. All right, guy. Thanks for the call. We'll Thank wrap you it for up the there. Time, Brian. All right, five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. If you want to join the conversation, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, back in a couple of moments, and when we come back, I want to play you a little bit of Justin Trudeau and his thoughts on democracy. Why he doesn't believe you need a vote to change your vote. News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So I'd meant to get to this audio earlier. And... When I say earlier, I mean last week. And I I don't know. I got distracted. We got talking. We were talking. I was verklempt. It was all good. It was a coffee clatch. And if you want to join the coffee clatch, it's 521-TALK, 521-8255. We can all be verklempt together. But last week, Justin Trudeau was out at uh, University of Ottawa. And I've got news on them. I'll bring you that in a moment. You won't believe what that silly little university looks like they're doing now. Oh, that place. I mean, they hired Alan Rock to run the place, for goodness sakes. That should tell you an awful lot. Don't send your kids there. Don't send your grandkids. And if they decide to go, don't give them the money. So, Justin Trudeau goes to the University of Ottawa and He's asked a question by a student. He's talking about democracy and revitalizing our democracy. I want you to, the audio is not great. Um, But he's talking about democracy. And a student stands up and asks him about his whole issue of democratic reform and, and the issue of giving people a vote. So, you know, maybe Stephen can boost this, you know, as best he can. But uh, listen closely. It has to do with you, it has to do with Canadians of all ages. But my question is specifically, why won't the government necessarily commit to a referendum um, to give the chance to all Canadians um, to decide whether they want to change their democratic system or not? Noting specifically the three referendums in the last 15 years that have actually voted for first-past-the-post rather than change. Thank you. Uh, We put forward a very clear uh, platform uh, that said this will be the last election held under the first-past-the-post system. It was a commitment we made. It was at the center of uh, what we were talking about, how we needed to reform uh, reform government, reform parliament, reform the way things work. 
uh, and uh, Canadians responded positively and massively uh, to us. Hold the phone, Margie. Hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the phone. What? It, they responded massively to you? This guy believes his own press clippings. This guy believes the hype that the media will not stop putting. They, he believes the smoke being blown up his own backside, doesn't he? Justin Trudeau, your massive majority, came in with less of the popular vote as a percentage than Stephen Harper had in 2011. <laughs> How's that feel? So the public did not respond massively to you. And how many of those people that voted for you were voting for changing the the first-past-the-post system? Was that even an issue for most voters out there? I don't think so. But you let Trudeau talk long enough, and his answer to this young man's question verged on five minutes. You let him talk long enough, he's going to tell you his real thoughts, his inner thoughts, the one that Jerry didn't plant in his head. And that's what he did here on the issue of why, really why he doesn't want a referendum on changing the voting system. Many of the people, and I'm not accusing you directly, sir, uh, who propose the absolutely we need a referendum, well, they know that the fact is that referendums are a pretty good way of not getting any electoral reform. So we are open to all sorts of different options, and that's why we're engaging in consultations, we're involving Canadians, we're talking about the values that underpin how we choose our governments, how we choose the kind of future that we want and need uh, for ourselves and for our fellow citizens. So I'm looking forward to robust debates on this type versus that type. I'm looking forward to digging into the values under underpinning the different choices and the different positions. He just doesn't want to hear you vote on it. He just wants to know that you agree with him. Hot diggity. It's all great, isn't it? It's kind of like the safe injection site issue, isn't it? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to join the conversation. Or you can email me. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Let's go to Gloria in Ottawa. G O L R I A, Gloria. Just I. Listen, there you go. You know what? You have so many good topics. I tell you, it's, it's hard to. Uh, pick I, I just could spend one. the next half hour singing about Van Morrison and the <laughs> band Them, which had a great song all about your name. I know that. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, you know, when they, when they find out your name. I have. It's not me <laughs> they're singing about. <laughs> so you're calling in about the yeah. uh, the heroin shooting gallery yes, stuff. Yes, I am, and I'd like to make a comment, please. And then uh, two uh, two sort of uh, two two small questions uh, on on it. The same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the thing is because uh, there are no gozo uh, police zones surrounding these heroin shooting galleries. The only thing that these I hate to say call them, but they're mindless. Left-wing liberal politicians have created is a drug dealer's paradise, where they can sell their dra- dirty, dangerous drugs with no fear of ever being arrested by the police. You know, uh, th- this is total insanity. 
I mean, it, if there was half a brain between the lot of them, they'd take the millions of that they're spending on these in, injection sites and uh, build rehab centers, which is the only way to help these people. As it is, they are not, they're not helping one addict here. You know, and, and, uh, and the only benefit, all the benefit goes to the drug dealers. Brilliant, you know, honest to God. This is, I mean, it's, it's total insanity. But, it, um, what it, I, it, it really is, and um, the, if we spent the time and the money mm-hmm. on treatment, exactly on fighting for better access to treatment, wouldn't that be the better way to go? One hundred percent. I like. I don't know. I I I I have no answers to this idiocy. I uh, that that's all I can say. It is a okay. But it, like but if if, some, if somebody's addicted, Gloria, mm-hmm. and 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 I can understand addiction. I can understand people dealing with their own demons. Yes. What's better, to aid and abet them or to help them get the help they need, help them get the treatment they need? Exactly. And the thing is, you know what? They sit there and watch them shoot up these dirty street drugs. It's a sick form of voyeurism almost. And and, and they call themselves health care workers. There's no care in that in, in this whole thing. And there's no 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 health concern in in this whole setup that they have uh, at all. And I, I would like to ask you, how many times a day can can the same drug addict shoot up in in these uh, heroin uh, galleries? Uh, I heard it was only once a day. Uh, it, I, I I don't know on that. I'd have yeah. to look that up. You, and I think you said you had a couple of questions. Yes, and then the, the the last one is is I'm I'm just wondering is how how many of these drug addicts may not have died from a, a drug overdose, but from the poisons that these street the street heroin uh, uh, drug is mixed with, and then sold well, to these addicts. Uh, that, you know what I mean. I, absolutely, that's part of it. And and Gloria, uh, uh, thanks for the call. Thanks for the insightful questions. I'll say this: sometimes they often say generals fight the last war instead of the current war. And right now, what Vancouver's really dealing with is a fentanyl issue, which is a a synthetic opioid comes in pill form, and it's often cut with all kinds of other crap, and that is killing people in Vancouver. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Back after this. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So George reacts to my um, my comment about electing judges by writing, Brian, I love your show. Electing judges and then three question marks. He says, look at the people they elect as MP, MPP or mayors. The whole thing's a crapshoot. Uh, I got to say, George, would we get any worse than what we have now? These robed gods? In their silly red robes up on Wellington Street? Really? 
These people are a joke with their reasonable hypotheticals that are anything but reasonable. Striking down mandatory minimum after mandatory minimum, a one-year mandatory minimum for repeat drug traffickers is cruel and unusual punishment because, well, you know, Sandy might have passed a joint to Kinnicky at a party once and... So she could have been charged with trafficking. Who gets charged with trafficking for sharing something like that? It is an unreasonable. As the dissenting judgment said, it's unreasonable. It's not based in reality. So what do you think? Is it time to elect judges? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Alan in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News, my friend. Hi, how are you? A fit to be tied tonight, uh, apparently. Oh, join the club. I, I, I attend church not very far from where the single opening with drug den there. Yeah. But uh, I agree. Let them open one there. But on one condition, they open a police satellite station right across the road from there. Oh, that's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. But God help the poor person. Who is robbed? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you know, in that area, actually, Alan, hold on. Let let me take that back. Maybe it will because if we follow Vancouver's lead, which is what all these people want to do, if we follow Vancouver's lead, then we have to hire what ninety cops? Okay, we're smaller than Vancouver, so maybe not ninety cops, but a lot more cops. That's why the crime rate did not go up in Vancouver when they hired ninety more police officers. All right, I used to live in Sandy Hill. Sandy Hill used to be a uh, a great area to live in. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't live there for love nor money. If this comes through, there is no way I want to live in that area. I, I value my life. It, it, it's it's a lovely area. It can be very nice. But, yep. you know, we, we get told, well, it, you know, I, I was talking about this. Uh, tonight was my last night filling in for Ezra Levant on his show, uh, TV show on the rebel.media. And I was talking about something else related to David Suzuki, but I talked about this theory and it's called the Overton window. This is a real theory. It's also the name of a, a good political thriller book by Glenn Beck, but the Overton window is a theory that says what we will find acceptable as public policy. You know, it's like looking through a window. What is acceptable is what you can see through the window, and then activists on either side will try and move the window so that ideas that are considered radical or unacceptable or unthinkable become sensible and then become acceptable. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, but... uh... And and so in this case, they they started out with, we just need a needle exchange. We just need a methadone clinic. We just do we not just, need one. We just need, we just need a, a supervised injection site, Alan. That's all we need. We need to give them the heroin because they can't be injecting this street drug stuff. Do you right. see where I'm going? I do. They're uh, constantly moving. Let, let me put it in sports terms. The bar a little higher. They're constantly moving the chains. You know, you know right. in football, when, when you move the chains to, for the next 10 yards, yep. that's what they're doing. All right, uh, Mark, can we get off this topic for just a second? I'd like sure. to take issue with you with RU. With, okay, go um, ahead. 
you can't judge Ottawa U by who runs the place. Ottawa U is a uh, thousands and thousands of different minds there. I myself attended Ottawa U, but. Uh, you know, uh, just don't paint everybody with the same picture. That's what I'm saying. Well, they're, they're just, they're depressing me and annoying me. Tonight, and, and I'm waiting for confirmation, so I'll throw this out there as what I've been told, is that tonight the University of Ottawa voted uh, to divest itself of any investments for their endowment, for their their ongoing investments, divest themselves of anything related to fossil fuels. All right, but what I'm saying is... That, that's that, a, that's, that's the leadership. The, the people, the upper crust there, people below us, below them, don't think the same way. I don't think the same way. True enough, but I, I think we need more of the students speaking up. Well, of course we do. And, we and more of the faculty. Too. And you know, like, I mean, we have to hold our feet to the fire and say, no, we've had enough. All right, Alan? All right. Feel free to take me on anytime. You're welcome. All right. 521 Talk, 521 8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to join the conversation. Or if you're shy, you want to email, you want to tell me I'm crazy like uh, George did with the idea of electing judges, it's beyond the news at CFRA.com. My name's Brian Lilly. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You've been hearing about it for the last while now. John Ridsdale, former mining executive, semi retired Canadian. One of four people taken hostage, along with fellow Canadian Robert Hall, a Norwegian man and a Filipino woman, last September 21st. John Ridsdale executed. I don't want to get too gory. And as is often the case, I know more than I'll say. Um, it, in gory situations, that's just the way I play things. I don't need to make your stomach turn. I'll deal with these issues. I'll deal with these details. And if you want to find them out, you can look them up. But um, John Ridsdale decapitated his head thrown into the street by two men on a motorcycle because a ransom wasn't paid. Held for seven months, then executed by an Islamic jihadist group that has pledged allegiance to ISIS. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau may have said the right words. What I want to know is what his response will be. Here's some of the words he had to say earlier today while speaking in Kananaskis country in Alberta, a little bit west of Calgary. I am outraged by the news that a Canadian citizen, John Reisdell, held hostage in the Philippines since September 21st, 2015, 
has been killed at the hands of his captors. I'm outraged as well. Another Canadian dead at the hands of an, an Islamist terrorist group. Last time it was Burkina Faso. But really they were, they were not the targets. I don't want to use the term that came into my mind. They, they were not the targets. Let me just say that. They were not the targets. The, the terrorists in Burkina Faso, it was an Al-Qaeda-affiliated group. They just wanted to take out anyone they could, but particularly Westerners. But they were not targeting Canadians. In this case, they targeted a Canadian. My view is, and I'd like to hear yours, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And if you're listening from out of town, it's 1-800-580-2372. My view is that we need a response. We need retribution. That may not be the Christian response, but we're not dealing with Christians who are going to worry about whether we turn the other cheek. We are dealing with brutal thugs, Islamic terrorists that want to have us submit to their will. And so they respond to force. That's the language that they understand. And so I think that it is entirely within the rights of Canada to go to our allies in the Philippines and say, you know what? You know what? Let's, let's come to an agreement. We'll do a, a training and assist mission of a limited scope in the area where Abu Sayyaf operates. And that training mission will be that we will send Canadian JTF-2 forces in. We'll send our elite commandos in. And the goal is we take out as many of those people as we can while training you while doing it. And we're in and out quick. Now, I, I said that on air, and a friend emailed and said, well, actually, the problem is we, we don't know where these people are. We can send in all the JTF elements we want, and the effort will achieve nothing. My response was to send back a short little clip from the movie Apocalypse Now. And because this is, this is just the mood that I'm in. Whether I am right or I'm wrong, whether I'm being emotional, whether I'm being vindictive, this is the mood that I'm in right now. in the morning. You know one time we had a hail bomb? For 12 hours, when it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking dink body. Smell! You know that gasoline smell? The whole hill. Smells like... Victory. Someday this war is going to end. 
Will the war against the jihadists ever end? I played the clip earlier. Maybe Stephen can get it ready again. Earlier today, over at The Blaze, they started a new serial talking about the origins of terrorism, specifically dealing with Islamic terrorism. And he went back to the Barbary Pirates, reading off quotes from letters to American officials, trying to explain to Thomas Jefferson why these people thought that they could just take American ships hostage. Well, because it is in our Koran that we can do this and we can wage war against any, uh, any unbeliever wherever we find them. And eventually, the answer came with the Americans deciding to build a navy and start the Marines. By 1794, the United States began building a navy for the purpose of finally ending the threat from the Islamist Barbary pirates. And in 1801, President Thomas Jefferson had enough. He had grown weary of nearly bankrupting the nation with the ridiculous exorbitant tribute. He stopped paying the tribute, and the Pasha of Tripoli declared war on the United States. America's first foreign war had begun. Jefferson, with the authorization of Congress, sent the newly manufactured American warships and Marines to the Barbary Coast. Blockades and battles followed. The American Navy won virtually every battle. However, in October 1803, the USS Philadelphia ran aground on a reef patrolling the Tripoli Harbor to be captured by the Islamists. They then renamed it the Gift of Allah and used it again as a gun battery against the American fleet. On the night of February 16, 1804, Lieutenant Stephen Decatur and a small group of Marines took off in a captured Tripolian vessel, tricking the sailors aboard the captured American ship, allowing them to get close enough. Then they stormed the ship, overpowered the Tripoli sailors, and blew up the ship. Even famed British Admiral Horatio Nelson reportedly called this the most bold and daring act of the age. Isn't that the type of reaction that we should have when Canadians are killed overseas? Isn't that the type of reaction we should have to these terrorist thugs that decide that they will take out a Canadian, that they will execute someone, they will take them hostage, they will demand a ransom, and then they will execute them? What other response can we have? This was not someone who had to happen to be staying at the Ron Hotel or working in the Ron Office Tower and... They were just, they weren't targeted because they were Canadians. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. These people, John Ridsdale, uh, Ridsdale, Robert Hall, and their companions were targeted specifically because of who they are. The headlines around the world right now. Canadian hostage killed by militants. There is a word I hate. How about Canadian hostage killed by group that pledged allegiance to ISIS? Canadian hostage killed by Salafist Islamists? Canadian hostage killed by terrorist thugs? Any of those will do. But Canadian hostage killed by militants will not. 
521 talk 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Do you have thoughts on this? Do you have thoughts on whether we need to start electing judges, changing the way judicial appointments are made? Do you care whether conservative candidates for the leadership actually want to appoint conservative judges? Now's your chance to join the conversation. Call in now. This is Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. All right, so I'll admit it. Clicked on one of those things on the interwebs. Stars of the 70s, then and now. You see what they look like then, what they look like now. See, some people look better older. Some people look better younger, but it's still fascinating. Either way, it's clickbait. You got a guilty pleasure on the internet? (laughs) Because I'm giving you confession right now. I am giving you confession right now. Uh, Just pulled up Faye Dunaway. I'm going to pass that one by without comment. Uh, Jane Fonda, did she look better then or now? I can't, again, can't really comment. Okay, let's skip ahead for a bit. Gene Hackman. Uh, So this is Gene Hackman and the French Connection versus now. Very dapper man, but I love Gene Hackman in the pork pie hat from the French Connection. What a great car chase scene that was. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to join the conversation. As I ramble about clickbait on the interwebs. Before I get to, uh, to Michelle calling in about safe injection sites, welcome your thoughts on heroin shooting galleries. Steven? Stop Stop writing in that the guests are calling in about safe injection sites. Write that they're calling in about heroin shooting galleries, okay? That's what they are. They're heroin shooting galleries. Um, so just another quick little aside before I get to, uh, to Michelle's call. I truly do believe, and, it, you know, we played a thing about traffic Mageddon that didn't happen earlier today. But let me say that Ottawa is the only city I have ever lived in, worked in, done extensive business in, where you can drive along a highway and everyone is driving below the speed limit, side by each, as they say. The only city I've ever been to where you will have three cars going along the Queensway or, you know, whatever the local highway is. And everyone's doing 90 to 100. And nobody's passing each other. And you can't get around them. That's happened to me three times in the last couple of days. It's infuriating. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Michelle in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. First off, Brian, thank you for the intelligent, emotional, and the passion you bring to educating uh, all of us. Uh, The topics are fantastic. I wish I could keep the radio on with me all the time. So I've been in and out of the car tonight. So I haven't heard everything. Okay. But I did hear Dyer. You can always catch it on the podcast later. I know, but I can't call in after the fact. This is true. No. 
Um, so I did I did hear Guy earlier, and I would like to congratulate Guy because now I'm really impressed with him. If he's been clean 20 years, that is an accomplishment to be celebrated. And what gets me with these, uh, it's all crap this government is promoting, these safe injection sites, that marijuana, it's, it's just unbelievable. We are creating social sewers. And that's what safe injection sites are. If they cared, if they cared, if they really cared, they would put money and research into providing better, more uh, accurate treatment that was helpful to these people. Mm -hmm. Somebody's really sick when they're injecting freaking crap into their body. And what what I'm kind of sorry that we're not hearing from is more people who who have been there and pulled themselves through it or more families calling to say, oh, dear God, please stop this. Please stop this. Don't send this message to the kids. What a a joke. Like, it's a double message here. You can't have it in a neighborhood and pretend it's okay. It's wrong no matter how you spin it. And yesterday I saw, is his name Bill Blair? Blair, the new... um, Bill Blair. Or Blair, he, yeah. You're talking about the former uh, police chief in Toronto, now a Liberal yes. MP? Yes, and he did okay. the talk show rounds yesterday, and I, I heard him on CBC, and I saw him on CTV, and I also saw him on somewhere, and um, whatever. And he's standing, blabbing away that he's protecting us from organized crime. Well, really? Because it looks more and more like our government is taking over organized crime, and they are the biggest criminals of all. It is such a joke. Why are we allowing this? And they can spin it any way they want. An addict is going to overdose. They're not going to set their clock nine to five to go in. And so somebody, we can pay somebody, what, 50000 60000 a year to watch somebody. You put two people to a rehab, you know, and a person takes three times in a rehab before they have success. The, the success rates of a rehab are 1% abstinence for the first year. But when you combine it, when you're actually combining with something like neurofeedback, you jump to 70%, but neurofeedback is new and it's very expensive. It's like 10000 to $15,000. Um, why? Why? I wrote Rona Ambrose when she was the health minister and their government had put money into treating PTSD and they were using this, uh, studying it because it's having wonderful effects. And when you change the brainwaves, which they can do, you give a person a real fighting chance. Um, I sent you a link to a program called 16 by 9 by Global, which had aired in November of 2014. I tried to find it. They've adjusted that program now. But initially, that program showed the streets around these uh, safe injection sites. They're just social circles, sewers. And these people are suffering, and you're not doing them any good allowing them to do this. If somebody shows up there, take them for treatment. Take them against their will and give them their life back and save the family the pain. You're you're not allowed to take anybody against their will, uh, Michelle. I know, but it should be. but, but, But that's why... If you remember when uh, the late Jim Flaherty was running for the leadership of the PC party in Ontario, one of the things that he suggested was that police be allowed to take people in when it got too cold. You know, we have these nights where it gets so cold and we're worried about people dying, right? And Jim Flaherty suggested we should be allowed to take people in so that uh they they don't die in the streets and he was accused of wanting to arrest the homeless are we and sick you, Why we, do we, we, we are we are sick but, but and but when i tell you the Brian, courts have somebody... said but the courts have said that you can't do this to someone it is 
so bizarre. Which is and why it, our, our police are handcuffed and they walk up and they see someone harming themselves. And unless they're committing a crime, they can't intervene. They, can, they can't say, hey, let us help you. If the person says, no, leave me alone, they got to do they, they have to leave them alone. Listen, if you could vote somebody in that actually had common sense and they could pass the test, you know, because really when I tell you, just give an example of say we got an 18-year-old kid and he's just recently started shooting up and he comes to a safe injection site and you say to him, don't do this tonight, let's go for help tonight because this is going to take your life before you know it, the years are going to pass if you're lucky enough to live. And who wants to live getting resuscitated every night they overdose? It is so sick. It's unbelievable that they can even present it as as an option to help anything. And people are buying it. And it's just, it it makes me wonder if we truly are living in the end times because it's just so freaking bizarre. What are we doing to our culture? What are we doing to our people? You know what the ad's going to be in a few years? Can you imagine advertising for an old age home? Oh, Put off dying this year. Come and stay with us, and we'll supply you with all the marijuana you can have. Like you laugh, but that's how sick it is. Like it's so twisted, and we keep we keep bowing to this. Organized crime has now become our government. And in regards to being a Canadian and traveling abroad and having your head tossed in an alley or on the street, mm-hmm. how sick is that? And like you know, what was what was Mr. Trudeau's remark to that? He was what appalled. What was his word he used? Uh, infuriated? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to take him to task for, for what he said. Uh, my, my question is, Brian. But I want a better response. I do want a better response as well. But I'm also wondering, again, why is it that Saudi Arabia is paying to build mosques in all these European countries, but never did Saudi Arabia stand up and say, what is happening to the nationals of these countries is forbidden. We do not promote it. We are against it. Stop doing it. When is somebody going to stand up for us? Instead, can you imagine if that was your father's head rolling down the street? God help those poor families. It is so beyond sad. And what did he do that he would deserve to end his life like that? It's just so yeah, well, scary. Very scary. Didn't deserve it. Michelle, thanks for the call. Thank you. All right, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to get on the line. Uh, Beyond the News at CFRA.com. Back in moments. With Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. All right, in the uh, commercial break, I did make it through my uh, my list of 70 stars then and now. Again, some of them look better now than they did back in the, their supposed heyday, and uh, well, some of them not so much. Men and women. Just so you know, I'm equal opportunity here, men and women. want to read off a quick email to you from Robert, who uh, is upset that I, you know, I'm advocating sending JTF2 into the Philippines to respond to this situation of 
a terrorist group killing a Canadian and threatening to kill another. He writes, Yo, Belil, how much will it cost to send JTF2 in the name of a federal Liberal Party of Canada that is ideologically committed to nonviolence as a means to self-actualization, as opposed to the JTF2 hit squad vengeance you promote? On Friday, you advocated killing Bambi and Bullwinkle with long guns. Here we are on Monday. You have graduated to JTF2 and assassinations. Really? I advocated killing Bambi and Bullwinkle? I don't think so. If you know anything about hunting, Robert, you're not allowed to kill Bambi. It's why there's no spring deer hunt. Not allowed. Now, as for assassination, I'm talking about retribution. I'm talking about sending a message to all the other terrorist groups that if you take out a Canadian, there are consequences. I'd be willing to bet that if I put this to the Canadian public, if I didn't have the majority on my side, I would have the plurality on my side, a plurality greater than Justin Trudeau's stunning 39% of the vote. I'm willing to wager your money on that. What about you? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Mike's calling in about... Heroin injection sites. Did I just hang up on Mike? Mike, if I hang up on you, my apologies. Do call back now. Uh, I don't know what happened there. I may have hit the button funny, but... Uh, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. The fact is, with the whole issue of... John Ridzel in Philippines, he was targeted for who he is, for who he was. He was targeted because he was Canadian. We know who targeted him. We can take retribution. And I'm sorry, Robert, if you think that's some kind of weird assassination. It's called taking out a criminal element that will not stop until we all submit. And if you want to run for office, sir, as you have, then you need to be willing to make hard decisions. But I don't think you're willing to make hard decisions. It's one of the many reasons that nobody voted for you. Let's push the button gently again. And Mike, in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Sorry, I got cut off. Um, anyway. Uh, no, that, that was my fault. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Um yeah, with the safe injection site, I, 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 I've been going on about this for years, okay? They, they keep jumping the fence in, 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 in regard to their aims and their goals. They keep come, when they're pressured, they keep coming out and saying, well, you know, we can guide them towards treatment and blah, blah, blah. They don't do any of that. And when they first started, harm reduction first started around this area in Ottawa, they were confronted with the fact that they don't even try to guide people toward treatment. And their claim was, we don't do that. That's not our role, okay? Mm-hmm. We're just here to provide them with a, with a safe place to shoot up their drugs. Yeah. Only 5% of drug users use these sites in the first place. When they do, when they do surveys on drug users 
and ask them what their goal is, 56% of them cite abstinence as their goal. Only 0.7% select safer, safer drug use as their goal. Okay, This whole thing is bogus, and I don't know why we're even entertaining allowing this. These people are enabling addiction, and people are dying from addiction, and these people are making money off it. Their counselors, they're not trained. They have no certification in counseling. They have no skills in respect to counseling. They can't guide these people towards treatment even if they wanted to. They don't have the skills. My, and we're, we're my, my bi- open my, these places up. My big issue, Robert, is that we are aiding and abetting addicts. And I, I don't know if you've dealt with addiction anywhere in your family or, or, or your extended social circle. I'm an addiction counselor. I'm retired. Okay. So I've dealt with addiction a lot. All right. Okay. So my my view of um, I I don't have a good view of harm reduction. Ha- having watched it be attempted, having watched the alternatives play out, my view is there are better options. And for some reason, so-called harm reduction is the in vogue element. It, it it is what everybody wants, and and so uh, uh, a heroin injection gallery that's what really we're talking about well they want what they want they want jobs and they want careers without having to have any skills in order to perform that function okay and that's what this is all about okay and 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 at best the people who really believe in harm reduction are misguided because they have no education in respect to addiction so, so if so someone, the if someone who understand addiction need to speak out and not allow this to happen. Unfortunately, the addiction community will not speak out because their whole thing is to protect their own community from within because, you know, the government, most treatment centers who know what they're doing in respect to addiction won't touch the government in respect to funding and that because the government will come in and ruin all their programs. Well, th- this is one of the reasons that over the years I've supported places like Harvest House. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a place that gets results. Let let me ask you this, uh, Mike: If someone came to you and said, uh, I, "I've got an addiction," would you advocate that they quit and seek treatment and go into a, a plan, or would you uh, suggest that uh, okay, let's just give you uh, controlled substances? I, I would tell them they need to get abstinence. The drugs are killing them. The drugs are altering their central nervous system. The drugs are make, turning them into people that they're not. Okay, And they need to get off the drugs. That's first. Once they get off the drugs, then they can start to learn skills, life skills, etc., etc. Okay, Attitudinal change, behavioral changes. Okay, That's what treatment's all about. Okay, They can go into treatment. They can come out, they will come out of treatment, guaranteed, a whole different person. All right. Mike, thanks for the call tonight. Thanks. Thanks for all your calls tonight. Thanks for your participation in the show. And, of course, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope that we brought you a good discussion tonight. I, I hope that we brought you some information that you weren't getting elsewhere. And hope that we can do it all again tomorrow night. In the meantime, of course, you can find me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. 
Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. And uh, tonight was my last night of hosting for Ezra Levant. So uh, on his show, he's back from Passover. Uh, but tomorrow you'll start seeing little bits on social media of what I've been doing on uh, on Ezra's show, including David Suzuki's crazy idea of rewilding. Maybe we'll get into that on the talk show tomorrow. Rewilding Canada. Are you ready to give up half the country? Are you ready to say there is 50% of Canada that people just can't go in anymore in order to save the planet? David Suzuki likes to talk about saving the planet. But, of course, he made these comments while he was in Barrie, Ontario, several thousand kilometers from his home in Vancouver. He flies everywhere. He drives everywhere. He's doing everything he tells the rest of us not to do. Maybe we'll bring that up on tomorrow's show. It's been fun tonight. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember, I'm on your side.